Requesting connection. Established. Encrypted. We're live. The show you've been asking for. Advice, technology, and community. Linux first, all others second. This is Ask Noah. Live from Speed Technologies, the show that puts you, the listener, in the driver's seat because you are the content. The phone lines are open to be a part of the program. It's a free call, 1-855-450-NOAH. That's 1-855-450-6624. Give me a call. We'll have a conversation about your tech questions or business and tech questions. Linux advocate, above all else, small business owner, and now host of the only radio show centered around you, the listener... Welcome to the Ask Noah Show. My name is Noah Chalaya. So good evening to you all. Delighted to be here. Another episode of the Ask Noah Show kicking off this hour. A special edition of the Ask Noah Show kicking off this hour. Now, a couple of months ago, we did our first ever Ask Noah Show War Stories episode. And that episode was met with large success. Everyone I talked to, you guys gave your feedback. You said, we really like that episode. Everything was fantastic. We really like listening from other industry experts that are in the field that are seeing this stuff day to day. Would you do a second War Stories episode? We really liked it. And uh, the answer, of course, was yes. We knew the first time we did it that we were going to do a second one. But the question was when? Because doing one week, uh, doing one episode a week is enough for me to try and tack on an additional episode in a given week. That was a difficult thing to do. Now, this week, we got about halfway through the week, and all of a sudden, uh, there was a huge story that broke. And we knew right away... This was going to be have to be something that the Ask Noah show had to cover. And then as the week progressed on, I started to get feedback from you guys saying, you can't wait until your day on Tuesday. In fact, the day Tuesday is even one day later than you usually are. And this story needs to be covered, needs to be talked about. And uh, we would like to see the Ask Noah show take a proactive look. So I said, all right. So I cleared out my day uh, on, on Thursday and Friday and started doing research and research and came together to provide you uh to, to provide you my take on this. Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about, this week might be a good week to sell your Intel stock and buy some AMD. If you're the kind of person that likes to gamble with single stocks, from a technical perspective, if you're here for the TLDR of what happened this week, what you need to know, the answer is simply update your machine. And if you're not a special Windows user, if you can't wait uh, if you don't have the money to pay, then you'll have to wait until Patch Tuesday to get your machine patched. Linux, of course, is already fixed. Many of you know uh, that if you listen to this program, you know that we here at the Ask Noah Show are going to do hours of meticulous research so that you don't have to and then present that material to you with perfect executed analysis. And I'm going to walk you through with as much detail as necessary for you to understand what the threat is what's being done about the threat, and what the ramifications are. And if you're not interested in all of that, then the answer is just patch your stuff and life will go on. Every computer needs an operating system to function. Now, that operating system has to be able to communicate with the hardware that it sits on. Every operating system has a kernel, and that is the brain that speaks to the hardware. And then that kernel then talks to something that we call the user land, which is the thing that you interact with. So it's the desktop. It's the processes, it's your files, etc. And the purpose behind having those two separate systems is that when you want to save a file, you don't have to tell the hard disk which sector you want to write to. You don't have to know that kind of irrelevant information. You just click the file save button and the user land then talks to the kernel and the kernel then finds a place to save it on the hard disk. Now, computers use something called paging and paging is essentially a memory allocation technique that allows the physical address of the space where the process lives to be non-contiguous. We call that physical space the frame. So the English translation of that is that a process can be allocated wherever memory is available. And then we use something called the a translation look-aside buffer, which is essentially a table of all of the processes that maps their logical address to the correct physical frames. Now, in recent years, processors are constantly searching for ways to be more competitive in the form of being faster and more efficient. And one of the ways that we do that is with something called speculative execution, which is basically the processor trying to predict and solve problems before it's even called to do so. Now, if that prediction is correct, then the CPU has done its job and the CPU is a little bit faster 
If the prediction is wrong, the answer is simply deleted without any real penalty. Now, when the CPU goes to predict this data, it caches that data in a place that has no real security, no real protection. And numerous research groups have brought the fact that there is no security to Intel's attention. And the reason they brought it to Intel's attention is because it actually prioritizes speculative execution. Now, this is the fundamental feature that has been exploited by both Meltdown and Spectre. And we're going to get to what the differences of what both of those are. Meltdown, which applies to Intel only and can allow attacker to read kernel memory. Apple has commented that this flaw is the most potential, has the most potential for exploitation within its ecosystem. And Spectra, which applies to both Intel, AMD, and ARM. And unlike Meltdown, I'm sorry, unlike Meltdown, applies to Intel, AMD, and ARM, but involves a pair of flaws that can allow access to a kernel memory available to an application running on a system. Now, unfortunately, Intel cannot just simply issue a software update, even a microcode update to fix this issue, because there's actually a physical problem. So they actually have to physically modify code on the device. And so there's no real fix. Now, obviously, going forward, Intel can manufacture their newest processors so that they don't have this issue, but it's just not cost effective or realistic to expect people to take their processors out of their computer and send them back into Intel to get them patched or to get them fixed. And so the best we can do is a Band-Aid, a workaround. And um, I'll get to the update that is going to fix this in Windows when Microsoft actually gets around to it. But in Linux, the patch is already available. And by the way, it is, uh, it, 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 basically, it splits the user land and the kernel land. Now, this will work, but many of you are thinking to yourself, no, if we split user land and kernel land, doesn't that leave a performance degradation? And the truth is, I don't really have a great answer for you. The number that is being thrown around is 30%. However, I can't find a single source of where they came up with that number. Additionally, the more the stories continues, and I've been following it for the past couple of days, the more I see reports that the average user won't see any noticeable performance degradation and only high-performing computers are going to notice a difference. Now, the worst uh, is going to be on machines prior to Haswell 4th generation that do not have PCI-D. The older processors that are the more basic, those are the ones that are really going to feel the brunt of this. Newer processors, more powerful processors, specifically ones made after Haswell 4th generation with PCI-D, will be less affected. Some of you are probably wondering where AMD stands in all of this. Well, AMD claims that they're not affected by this, neither AMD nor Ryzen, because the bug uh, by this bug because they don't engage in speculative execution with unsecured cached data. Additionally, they actually proactively implemented a feature called the kernel page table isolation feature, which should prevent this particular bug from ever affecting their systems. Now, I read one report that says that they were slightly affected but that they could fix their small issue in software and that you had to have some physical access to the machine to actually take advantage of the vulnerability, unlike Intel. Now, if you're on the sieve of an operating system called Microsoft Windows, they took care of their Windows insiders, but you, you low-level peons with your unimportant data and your unimportant privacy, you, you people, you can wait till we get around to it, which would be on Tuesday. The update will be KB4054022. In order to take advantage of that, you need to make sure that you have automatic updates enabled. But uh, as we do on the Ask Noah show, we like to get industry experts, people who really understand this stuff, people who work with this stuff on a daily basis. And uh, we are bringing in Michael Tunnell from Tux Digital. Hey, Mike, welcome to the Ask Noah show. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah. So I, I guess when you first uh, when you first saw this, when this first broke, what was your initial reaction? Were you was your hair on fire or were you like, eh, we got a patch. We'll be fine. Well, at first I thought it'd be fine. But then I started researching more and more and starting having to like test out the patches and stuff like that because it was in the RCs at the time. Uh, it, it when I when I realized how far it goes, it's definitely a, a draw dropping situation. So what kind of things have you tested? What kind of things have you uh, have you played with? Um, I've played with like the some JavaScript exploits and some 
some test cases you can you can actually download some test cases on some of the like the project uh, project zero announcements like they've published some code you can look at there's uh, there, there's a more just a proof of concept stuff it's not like there's not like real implementations of any kind of thing it's just like here's the code that you can run to test to see if it can detect other code from a different su- uh, subset process Companies like Red Hat have really stepped up their game. They opened up their resources on access.redhat.com for the general public as it relates to this. Have you seen this? I had not, no. Yeah, so this is really cool. So access.redhat.com, you sign up for an account, and I'm not sure if all of the articles are available to you once you sign up for an account or if you have to be a special juju and have a uh, have a red hat license um i've got both so i i don't really know but the the nice thing is they somebody actually just tweeted them on twitter and and we have a link to that uh tweet in the show notes and this guy just said you know would you be willing to open the, these articles up and red hat said you know what this is important enough yeah we absolutely will step up to the game and so they open up their entire uh their entire knowledge base of stuff on this particular I, uh, issue as well as all of their resources on what you can do, what you need to know, all of that stuff. We have that linked in the show notes as well. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. The uh, I'm looking at it right now. They've have a lot of. There's a lot of good detail in here. Yeah. The, the the diagnosis, the impact, everything. Yeah, it's 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 uh, it's really it's it's really been something interesting to to follow. And you know what's also interesting is, and this we kind of saw this um. Yeah, uh, uh, a, l- a little while back with the the last big IT security exploit that we had, um, but you have a lot. You have you have two sides of the coin. On one hand, you have people that are like, "This is extremely serious. This is as bad or worse than Heartbleed." And then you have the other people on the other side of the spectrum that are going, "You know what? It's a problem. We found a fix. We have a fix. We have a patch. We'll be all right." Yeah, I mean, it is it is worse than Heartbleed. That's that's definitely true. Um, but that's that it's a situation because it's a hardware specific flaw and anyone who has the hardware that's affected they have the, uh, ultimately to fix it they have to replace it so it is it is definitely worse than Heartbleed because Heartbleed can be be completely fixed in software right and the the, the problem is and the problem is is because they can't actually fix it because we're just doing this band-aid 100% of the people even if we can't agree on the actual number the percentage the actual measurable degrade performance degradation even if we can't agree on yeah. that everyone that is affected by this is going to have some performance hit yeah there's going to be some there's some performance hit but it's also a performance hit based on the type of workload that you're doing so like there's there's been benchmarking based on this this question and it's mostly like uh, really intensive uh, cache re- re- checking and creation is what creates this issue. And so, for example, like compiling or virtualization, that has a big impact as far as the percent is like that's only higher end of the percentage. But like for gaming and desktop usage, in most cases, it's almost negligible. Yeah. Okay, so, so gaming and video editing, I, that's the two that I've seen referenced. People are saying, oh, it doesn't affect gaming. It doesn't affect video editing. But the virtualization thing that seems huge because more and more systems are not running on metal anymore. And if your digital ocean or your AWS or your, your OVH, I mean, that represents a huge capital cost to you that you have all of these Intel, basically every Intel processor that is affected by this. Yeah. The, the virtualization issue in like the VPS area and like, you know, the, the cloud, uh, that is a, is a big impact. So I, I would say that, in a way that you're not going to see um, as a desktop user a problem, but if you have a lot of cloud services, you may see a problem in that case. Yeah, I and and so it's 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 going to be interesting. I've updated most of my machines. I haven't seen a performance hit, but then again, I'm not the kind of person like all of the people that are are that are talking about these performance hits. They're doing these theoretical models, so they're like they're uh, they're measuring like benchmarks and stuff like that and i'm not a benchmark yeah. kind of guy like i'm the i install everything and then i let everything run and if something doesn't run right or i get complaints then i actually i i, I act on actionable things i don't i don't care what numbers are if the customer doesn't yeah. if the customer doesn't care if my, the website still loads if the server still works to me it doesn't really matter i i agree it's and in the sense of like just usage is not going to be that big that impactful especially for desktop users this is not and not necessarily, I mean, if you're a desktop user who also does virtualization and compiling, you'll see a problem. But like for people who are just like, you know, basic consumers, uh, they're, they're not going to have a problem most of the time. And if they do have a problem, the percentage is so small that you probably won't notice it. But uh, also the, the, the 30%, like that number's thrown around a lot because... Yeah, where did that number come from? Where did that number it, come it from? Came, it came from Project Zero. They When, they, when uh, it was announced, they, they said 
this is the range of possibility of percentage affecting of 5% to 30%. So everybody just took the bigger number and ran with it. Yeah, I don't I, I want to know like how how did they come up with that number? Because it it like why not publish the why not say like here here is the actual like here's the actual benchmarking thing, here's what the non, here's what the off, here's what this. And how do you get a range well, so of five variables? There's just so many I mean, variables. Different so processors? Many, so many different configurations. Yeah, the different processors have different different effects. Like, you know, AMD doesn't have an effect in certain cases. There's also other cases where if you have a, a kernel flag turned on, that it is affected. Uh, there's uh, Intel has a, a massive affecting with Meltdown. So a Meltdown has a bigger hit. So, if, for example, uh, if, you, if, you're, if your hardware is only affected by Spectre, you're not going to have anywhere near that 30% hit because it doesn't have to do the, the full... Uh, the full solution, the full mitigation. But if you have like the melt, the, an Intel chip that is affected by meltdown, you will have to deal with a bigger hit more than likely because of the fact that the kernel has to do more work to compensate. I guess that makes sense. Hey guys, if you're just joining us, we are doing our War Stories episode. We're also talking about the latest Intel security bug. So make sure to give us a call. We'll talk about your War Stories. Again, one 855 noah 1-855-450-6624. The email, live at asknoahshow.com. Give us a call, make your voice heard, become a part of the program. If you have a war stories, we'd love to hear it. Uh, Michael and I are talking, Michael and I from, Michael from Tux Digital and I are talking about these Intel vulnerabilities and what they mean and what you need to know about them. So uh, thanks again for being here, Michael. Now, another thing I wanted to get your take on was, did you see Linus's response to all of this? Uh, I saw that he said that there's going to be an extra RC because of it. Yeah, so they are, so they're really, you know, they, and that's another thing too. Linux has been right on top of this stuff. If you're on Linux, you basically, it was fixed before they ever really even announced that there was a problem. And they, Linus himself actually submitted code to fix this. So uh, that this is, uh, this is, I think that speaks volumes to Linux. <laughs> he is calling for this speculative indirect call thing to be totally, totally uh, eliminated. So I have this response here. He says, any speculative indirect calls in the kernel can be tricked to execute kernel code, which may allow side channel attacks that can leak arbitrary kernel data. Why is all of this done without any configuration options? A competent CPU engineer. See, this is how you know it's actually Linus that wrote this. <laughs> A competent CPU engineer would fix this by making sure speculation doesn't happen across protection domains, maybe even a L1 that is keyed by CPL. I think that somebody inside of Intel really needs to take a long, hard look at their CPUs and actually admit that they have issues instead of writing PR blurbs that say everything is working as designed. And that really means that all of these mitigation patches should be written. Not all CPUs are crap in mind. Or is Intel basically saying we are committed to selling you crap forever and ever and never fixing anything? Because if that's the case, maybe we should start looking towards the ARM64 people more. Please talk to management because I really see exactly two possibilities. A, Intel never intends to fix anything. Or B, these workarounds should have a way to disable them. Uh, so which of the two is it? That And that was that's what, that's what Linus, you know, and the thing is, when... He's such a direct person, and he he catches so much crap for that on the internet. But I appreciate that kind of I really appreciate that kind of honesty and straightforwardness. And in fact, in this particular case, it's it's quite necessary. It is because they're not taking it seriously enough. And part of the issue is, and this really frustrates really frustrates the heck out of me. And I know it frustrates other people that uh, that deal with this on a daily basis. One of the things that is really irritating to us is when you have these large companies that when they hear about a problem, the first thing they think of is how do we avoid litigation and how do we avoid the PR nightmare? Everything else up to and including people's actual system, the actual problem, everything else that that takes a second seat to PR problems and legal problems. And I understand, I mean, you own a business, I own a business, both of us understand why they have to take that stance and why they do the things that they do. But it's still so frustrating. Yeah, the response that Intel gave was uh, was very dismissive. And in some cases, they even kind of said, hey, it's not just us. Don't blame just us. And th that's somewhat true. Uh, even with the meltdown in effect, there's there's actually a, an, a particular ARM processor that is affected by it. But it's not even like fully released yet. So technically, everybody who has access to this won't, wouldn't be affected by it. So like it this they're they're going into like 
fixing that particular processor so it doesn't have the problem problem when it does become full mass production. Um, so that like there's they're just trying to like point point you know just don't look at us don't don't pay attention to the fact that our CEO sold stock and when he knew that there was a problem you know you know let, let's let's pretend that everybody is is at fault and not just focus on us when it's definitely Intel is uh, a, a very big aspect to it especially when Intel is like one of the main processor comp is, is basically the main processor company in the enterprise and server world. Yeah, and you know, for a long time, Intel has been their own worst enemy, their own worst competition. Like the thing that Intel has to compete against most is their previous generation processor. And what's interesting is the timing of all of this because it was just six or seven months ago we started to talk about Ryzen and how Ryzen was, you know, coming to fruition and how Ryzen had some really competitive advantages. Last week at the end of the program, we talked with a uh, with a listener named Charlie who was gave us his take on why AMD Ryzen is a better choice for some people that want to do open source type things. And I guess I have to ask the question, if that's the case, you know, when it, when we start looking at stuff like this and all of a sudden we have these huge flaws, why aren't we taking more of a look and why aren't we putting more effort into making sure that Ryzen and AMD uh, is, is competitive in the marketplace? Well, I think it's because, and as far as the Linux world, it's because AMD's had a long, long history of ignoring Linux. And now that they've been, it's basically been like two years since they started to say that, hey, we're coming back to the Linux market, pay attention to us. But because they ignored it for so long, there was such a huge gap that Intel created such a huge market share that it just kind of felt like, okay, you say this now, but you also said this before when you were talking, we we're talking about like Mantle and APIs like that, which I mean, Mantle did eventually become Vulkan, which is great, but like it's just they say things sometimes that you kind of are a little sketchy about it so maybe it still has that kind of a stigma around their reputation but based on like their yeah. their hardware like benchmarks and stuff it's quite good and they've proven themselves about keeping to their word like they recently open sourced the Vulcan drivers just a couple weeks ago do you think that this uh this vulnerability and this entire situation changes the way that we have to start looking at things like arm do you think that that's going to take you know because the the, the 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 interesting thing about arm is it practically doubles in power every other year and and now it's beginning to get to the point where you're seeing a lot of competitive products that can compete where intel used to so you're seeing arm laptops you're seeing arm desktops is that something that you think that is a more credible threat now to intel I, th I think ARM has a has a threat, but I think AMD is the bigger threat uh, because AMD has some more can offer much more power and at a cheaper cost in some cases. And um, the ARM situation is more like the the architecture of ARM is a little complicated in the sense of compatibility. So you could make an ARM device, and when you have something made for that particular device, it doesn't mean that the software could be put on any other device. So, like for example, that's why. Our Android phones have different ROM capabilities. So if you want to put Lineage OS on one one device, right. you have to have them make it for that device. So the ARM has that like that compatibility issue that might limit its growth. Right. Yeah. No, that that's an excellent point. Have you heard of anything or seen anything regarding Ryzen laptops? I've seen them talking about them as far as like um in a, as a concept, but I haven't seen any kind of like any benchmarkings or stuff or like that. Um, but, but based on the the, um, the 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 way they've structured the Ryzen CPU, it wouldn't be that much of a hassle to switch it over to laptops as well, because they're they're focusing them on um, like a low end cost building, so it should be you know available to be put into laptops as well for the pricing point. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, do you want to take uh, you want to take a call with me? Absolutely. Sweet. Uh, architect is calling from Texas. Hey, Architect. Welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Uh, hello again, Noah. And uh, hi, um, I guess, uh, Michael. Michael. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> hi for the first time. <clears throat> yeah. So um, I guess most relevant is uh, earlier today I got to play around with uh, the uh, the Spectre proof of concept on uh, three different systems that work. Uh Oh really? Tell tell me about tell me about yeah. that. So you you've actually done this vulnerability then? Uh yeah, the Spectre one, uh, not the um, not Meltdown. Sure. But uh, they're all Intel CPUs that work anyway, so both of them should have worked just the same. 
Um, so I'm regularly connected to a hardened BSD uh, VPS install. Uh, my primary workstation is Dragonfly BSD, and then uh, there's that CentOS box that was giving me a lot of grief that I thought would be fun to run this vulnerability on. Um, all three of them have been up to date, um, and uh, Dragonfly actually got a meltdown mitigation in place just to put that out there. Um, <clears throat> okay. But, yeah, I built this really simple C file that uh, essentially acted as a GDB or LLDB um, <laughs> on running processes. It was kind of kind of freaky seeing it because it printed out the uh, the pointer to the address location, the uh, the value, and how sure it was that it had a uh, a good. Yeah, allocation. So, uh, so what was your thought when you actually when you actually ran this thing all the way through, and it's like, okay, I have exploited this thing. What was your thought? Was your thought was, man, this is a big problem. This is a huge problem. Or was it like, eh, we got a patch. It'll be all right. Well, Spectre's not being patched. Uh, Spectre's the the much more insidious one. Um, so hold on a second. No, hold on a second. Hold on a second. You got to help me with this. And, and maybe Michael, maybe you can chime in here too. My understanding was that both Spectre uh, and Meltdown both relied on the, the the fact that there was this unsecured cache data. So if they are now separating uh, the user land from the kernel level, so they, it's no longer caching that that data, then wouldn't that prevent both of those uh, attacks from happening? Or that 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 understanding is incorrect. No, because no, because the issue is that the the meltdown vulnerability is a part is they work in the same way. Spectre and meltdown work in a very similar way. They're they're uh, they're just different variants of the same method, except that the meltdown is the variant three method, which is uh, the attack on the kernel. So the kernel the kernel fix is a is a is a kernel level cache fix. So the page isolation or page table isolation is fixing meltdown. So anytime like any system that is using that can be affected by meltdown, this would solve it. But it doesn't affect the it doesn't affect Spectre because Spectre doesn't affect the kernel. I but see. That has to be done in other applications. Like for example, Mozilla announced in that Firefox has an update with that has a fix for the Spectre issue. Gotcha. Okay. So that's well, being handled. So, so the Spectre is being timing fix for JavaScript. So the Spectre update that that's being handled inside of software. That's being fixed inside of software. No, it's being mitigated as best as it can. Well, yeah, of course. All, all of these are band-aids. It's a very long time to... Well, yeah, all, in particular is uh, taking a... Well, both of them are uh, leveraging uh, timing attacks against the CPU cache uh, with the, uh, the branch prediction and out-of-order instructions. So the CPU will actually... Uh, try to predict what code needs to be executed and get that information cached as a way to speed up, you know, regular processing. But if that code is never needed or uh, isn't cleared immediately, then you can actually uh, read that cache back and effectively uh, keep changing the, uh, the addresses that the cache is uh, pre-executing. Mm-hmm. and dump the entire uh, system's RAM contents. Jeez. Exactly how that's being done is what varies between uh, Meltdown and Spectre. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, um, the Meltdown being the one that's specific be to Intel, uh, which is well, they, the, uh, the I mean, user Intel's and kernel data not being, uh, not being uh, protected correctly. Oh, sorry, go ahead, Michael. What were you saying? I was saying Intel's affected by all of them. All three variants are affected well, are affecting Intel machines. So, like, right, uh, if you have, if you have meltdown fix, you don't have Spectre. vulnerability to Intel. Uh, Spectre is, as far as we can tell, uh, impacting all uh, CPU designs that use this uh, branch prediction and out of order instruction uh, technique. Um, except for Risk Five, and uh, I think it was I. Well, no, Itanium and uh, the uh, uh, earlier Atom CPUs weren't. Uh, I haven't 
verified yet, but those were uh, specifically meltdown in the end. So we have some really big problems, and uh, right now the uh, the big patch is for meltdown. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. Uh, Sorry, go ahead. So what Spectre was doing is uh, allowing you to basically debug memory as a process is running. And that's more difficult to implement, so it's a little bit less of an issue, but, um, I mean, the whole reason why Firefox is changing the JavaScript timings is because there are proof of concepts already out there where a, uh, a, JavaScript, a JavaScript thread in a Chrome tab can read the memory of the entire Chrome process. Okay, now let me ask you this. Is there, it, 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 Michael or Architect, either one of you, uh, it, w going forward, as Intel actually sets up all these new processors and they know the fix and they have physical access to the new devices that they're manufacturing, this problem won't exist going forward. Is that, that's my understanding, right? Correct. If, the, if they fixed it in the, the hardware itself, it wouldn't be a problem. And that's your understanding right. too, Architect? Um, okay. Yeah, both of these bugs need to be fixed in hardware. Yeah, and so uh, and for mitigation, you can only do so much. Right, and so and the, the, obviously the problem is that it's just not feasible to have everyone replace their CPU or pull their CPU out, put it in a UPS box, and ship it back to Intel to get updated. That's just not practical. Right, and they probably wouldn't even do that anyway. Yeah, yeah. Well. Th well, anyway, thank you, Architect, for, for calling in and sharing your experience with us. I appreciate it, especially, you know, this is what I love about the Ask Noah community is because, you know, we go to do an episode and uh, it's relatively short order and we still manage to come across somebody who has real life experience, somebody who's doing this, uh, you know, the people that are digging down in, in the actual code. And uh, I'm not a kernel architect and I don't play one or a CPU architect and I don't play one on TV. Um, and so it, it's really great to have people that are super knowledgeable about this stuff like architect, like Michael, and uh, we can present the best information to you. Again, the phone number one eight five five four five zero noah 855-450-6624. The email live at asknoahshow.com. We're taking your war stories this hour, or if you have comments or questions, about this latest Intel vulnerability, we'd love to hear from you. Michael Tunnell from Tux Digital is guest hosting with us this hour. Happy to have him as well. So, Michael, I heard a funny explanation of, of this. So, if you're sitting down with your relatives and you're saying, you know, uh, I heard, uh, you know, Grandpa saying, I, I heard that they, they got some sort of vulnerability there on the uh, on on a computer. So, what 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 exactly does this do? Here, the explanation that um, that you're supposed to give. Have you have you seen this? No, that was a good impression. Yeah, that was a good impression of Grandpa. Uh, the, the explanation is, you tell the non-technical person, you know how we finish each other's and then let the other person interrupt and say, sandwiches. You say, no, sentences. But you guess sandwiches, which was in your mind for an instant, and if that was a password, somebody just stole it. Isn't that good? <laughs> I, I thought that was that. funny. I thought that, that was good. clever. I don't know who came up with that, but I think it's funny. Uh, 1-855-450-6624. We've got another caller coming in here, so we'll uh, we'll give him a second to get... We'll give... Uh, Simon Quigley's filling in his call screener tonight. It's a huge help uh, to have people that are willing to step up and fill in when uh, our, our ordinary people can't be here. And... Um, and uh, do, 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 do. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, yeah. You know what? Uh, the other thing is, too, is I just got a message that uh, our friend Architect uh, that we were just speaking with, um, he actually... Uh, is running BusyBox and got a new toy. So we're going to bring him back up. Hey, Architect, uh, welcome back to the program. Hey, uh, and it's actually not BusyBox. I, I'm more of a uh, permissive license guy, so I, I went with ToyBox. Oh, okay, okay, um, cool. Well, tell me about it. Well, uh, it's the same idea as BusyBox, but BSD licensed. And uh, the, uh, the fun part regarding it is that it uh, happens to break uh, DRACA um, when you swap it out um, for the new core utils. Uh, oh, cool. Apparently some of the flags aren't implemented, similar to like if you're using uh, GNU grep versus BSD grep. Sure. Uh, 
So let me ask you this, just kind of a side side question for you. I have always my my understanding of BusyBox uh, licensing aside was that it was like this commercial thing that you had to go uh, purchase. You couldn't just you can't just download BusyBox, but if you purchase it, then it's like this embedded version of Linux that you can use on a bunch of things. And so like the uh, uh, Ubiquity, Unify, AP, UAC Pros, and stuff like that, they all have BusyBox. That's the actual Linux operating system that's running on them. Is is that understanding correct? And if it is correct, is that is is that is that one of the reasons that you chose to go uh, with the BSD alternative, other than the permissive license? Well, the um, the main use for BusyBox and ToyBox is that they're multi-call binaries, so it's a single statically linked, usually um, binary that's extremely small, and uh, you just have sim links or hard links to things like LS. Um, Grep said uh, via your usual sure, sure. base utilities. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and it behaves like whatever program you called it. Cool. Um, so if you invoke it with the NSH uh, hard link, uh, then it behaves like the uh, the Born or the Almquist shell. Sure, makes sense. And um, the uh, the main goal there is primarily size. Oh, okay. They're very small, they're very fast, um, and they're, they're fully functional alternatives to the GNU bin utilities package. They're just less big. Yeah, well, less well, less big, and like you said, it has a more permissive license, and that's you know that that's one of those things that I never really know where to to come down on that because on one hand, I like the idea of maximum absence of coercion, more freedom. I like that idea, but at the same time, I feel like when you get into these highly permissive licenses, the other problem you run into is you get people that say, "All right, I'm going to take what everyone else has done, and I have no real incentive to give back because the license doesn't require me to." What do you think, Michael? Oh, as far as licensing goes, I'm, um, I I think that the, the permissive license as a concept is great, but then you have a situation where anyone can take your code, and not only can they take your code, they can take it, rebrand it, never do anything, and pretend it is theirs and make money. Right. As long as they put the code out there in some random place that is like some obscure place on their website, as long as it's technically available, it's okay. But so, some, of those, some of those like BSD licenses, they don't even require you to publish the code. That's true, and some uh, some BSD licenses and even uh, something the MIT license doesn't technically require you to do anything. Right? Yeah, the MIT license was is actually that's what kind of what I was referring to is they uh, they they're like when they say permissive, they mean like we don't. It's like the it's like the the opposite of copyright. Like there's just there's it's yeah, I don't know it's weird. Anyway, Joel's call like here. You, you can do whatever you want. Yeah, basically, Joel's calling. Hey, Joel, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. How's it going, Noah? How's hey. it going, Michael? Excellent. Hello. How can we help? Yeah. So, um, so uh, first of all, um, about this, uh, b- these two bugs with CPUs. Um, do we know if the Intel management engine had some significant part in these bugs at all, or anything like that? I haven't heard anything, Michael. There, it's not specific to the management engine. No. It, it, there's there's some yeah, with all- sort of connections where you can use the management engine. In conjunction, but not. It's not like a. It's not affected by the management the engine. Doesn't create this problem. Okay, and um, also um, just to lighten the mood a little bit, and with uh, this big event coming up next week, uh, are, is there anything that's going to be exciting about that you're excited about during CES? Man, I would love to. I would love to go to CES one of these years. This year's. Uh, this year, uh, do I have my? I do have my. Sh- here's my event schedule. Let me look. Uh, this year we are doing um, NAB. We're doing an Ubuntu thing at the end of January, beginning of February. We're doing Linux Fest Northwest. Obviously, scale. Obviously, self. Uh, self just. Er, uh, um, CES just doesn't fit in there this year. But I would love to. I think that would be really fun. The thing I think that would be frustrating about CES, and somebody, Michael, would correct me if I'm wrong here. Uh, you'd see a bunch of toys that would never actually come to fruition, and you'd keep saying, well, "I saw it. I know that thing exists." Yeah, for the most part, it's just it's, uh, it's proof of concept stuff. Yeah, it's yeah, that's true, and some of the stuff actually takes years to come out and all that. Although uh, we've been seeing a lot of protocols over there as well, such as like uh, 4K and all that, and the new I know H.265 was featured over there first or something. I'm trying to remember. Yeah, uh, quite a few years ago. Yeah. 
Yeah, and um, the, the, a lot of that pretty much everything happens. Though. Like it either becomes vaporware or it becomes eventually uh, eventual wear. I'm not sure if there's a yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, I, I appreciate the call, Joel. I, I someday, if I ever make it to CES, I'll let you know. Maybe we'll do a live Ask Noah show from from CES. That would be it. Would be fun. I, I like it. again. I, if I had the, my choice, I'd go to every conference uh, that involves technology all year round. Except I'd skip the uh, Microsoft and Apple one because nobody cares. <laughs> but yeah, right. But but uh, no. But no. I I would love it. I would love to head head up CES. I'd love to play with all the all the toys. Again, phone number one eight five five four five zero no one eight five five four five zero six six two four. Again, the email live at asknoahshow dot com. We're talking about the uh, Intel bug as well as uh, some other things we're going to get to. I want to go uh, talk, and, and Michael, maybe get your take on some of this. Uh, back at our, our Christmas episode, we talked about an issue regarding some Lenovo and Acer BIOSes that had become read-only after installing Ubuntu 17.10. Now, this was due to an improper imp- implementation of the Intel SPI driver on Intel's part. Um, my understanding was there was nothing that Canonical could have done differently. But I'm happy to report today that the bug has been solved, more or less. 1710 respins are scheduled to be completed and released on Thursday, January 11th. As of right now, if you're running an earlier version of Ubuntu, like 1604, 1610, 1704, you can upgrade to 1710 with no problems. Now, if you're one of the people whose BIOS was affected, then there are some steps that you do need to take. Now, my understanding is that this assumes that you can actually boot into Ubuntu to begin with, which wasn't always the case. Because if you remember, the problem with this particular bug was it nerfed your BIOS so that you could write changes to it. So let's say the default boot order was uh, nothing. Maybe, I don't know, maybe it was booting the Windows boot manager and that was it. Well, you couldn't install Windows because you couldn't get it to boot off of the USB drive. You couldn't boot your existing Ubuntu installation because you couldn't change the boot or you can cha- save the changes that you made to the boot order. And you could not boot Windows because maybe Windows wasn't on there. So it was a real conundrum for some people. But if you can boot into Ubuntu, what you do is you download a deb, which we'll have linked here in the show notes. You install the downloaded package. Make sure the kernel is installed without any error. And then you reboot. Now at Grub, you're going to choose the newly installed kernel, and you can choose recovery mode. Reboot and go into your BIOS and confirm that your BIOS is now writable. In the event that your BIOS is not writable, you can reboot back into the new kernel, reboot again into the new kernel, that's twice, and this time you're not going to enter the BIOS settings, but before the reboot, on the second reboot, you're going to check the BIOS. And if your BIOS still remains an issue, it still hasn't solved it. We have another, well, they, not oh, we, it's not we, I have nothing to do with it. We're just reporting it. But you can download another kernel, which again, we'll have linked in the show notes, and uh, use dpackage to install it, and then repeat steps four through six. And we'll have all of these steps in the show notes. Now, after your BIOS is fixed, then you can remove the special kernel it would pseudo dpackage tack r uh, to remove that 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 kernel the custom kernel that you installed so michael uh you know I, I assume you don't have any lenovo or acer computers that were affected by this i do not no what was your thought when this came out i mean this was this was one of those things where i was like oh man i have to go on the air and talk about that yeah when i when i had, i had to talk about it in my show when i was the the first topic on my show a couple weeks ago was this and it was just like so here's what happened. Yeah. And yeah, it's just, it's not a fun time. No. No, it's really not. It's I mean there's 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 nothing. Yeah, it was it was no good. But it it looks like it's fixed now. I I have some information here uh well actually I guess I went over all of it. But yeah, but no. So, you know, I I guess as of now we're good to go. Going forward we're okay. And you know what I said on in in on on that Christmas episode and I'm not proud of it. It just but it's the reality we live in is that if you run a non LTS, you are the testing bed. You are the person that is testing to make sure that canonicals LTS customers don't get burned. And yeah, um, even canonical has said that. Yeah. The problem they, they, is how they represent it. The problem. I have two problems with it. First, first and foremost, the problem is that that just seems like an unacceptable 
uh, cost or risk that your computer. I mean, there are legitimately people's computers that uh, Canonical has said there is no fix for this. Basically, you have to replace your motherboard or send your 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 BIOS chip in to be reflashed, which is just not a possibility for most people. Um, so the cost of a computer bricking your computer that seems like a, a too high of a cost to me. Uh, and I agree, but it's it's that's a situation where they had no control over it. No control, and what could they have done differently? Um, but it just really nothing because they didn't have to do. They didn't even have control over the code that was was implementing it. So right. Like the so that they had no way to know that this was going to happen, and they had no way to uh, mitigate it prior to it happening. Right. And it's not like Intel works with them and says, "Here's the impl- here's how we're going to incorrectly implement this SPI thing," and so make sure to compensate for it. Like it's just not possible. Um, and and you know and really that you know I I didn't dig into it because it doesn't really matter for the purpose of of our show. But but the, the but here's the thing. The truth is that this too, this SPI thing, this is this is a band aid. This is not a fix. There's a there's a kernel flag that is just disabling the Intel SPI driver. Yes, we're that's not. Exactly, fi- that's exactly what it's doing. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so we're not fixing anything. Again, we're just bandaging it. So, uh, but you know, and the, you know what? What adds insult to injury, Michael? And is this is the one and only release ever in uh, certainly in my in my history with UltraSpeed Technologies, but even more so being as an on-air personality talking about this, where I've gone on and said, you know what? Install seventeen ten. I mean, we started installing seventeen ten for customers at our shop, and we've never done that since two thousand nine. We've always stuck with the LTS. And it was just this particular time, it, we knew that they were changing desktop yeah. environments, and there was so much push behind GNOME, and it just seemed like the right thing to do, and it turned out to be a huge mistake. Yeah, that's a situation where you, you clearly can't give them 1604 because the next LTS is going to be entirely different, so right. how do you mitigate that, and how do you create a more, re- more reasonable transition period? Right. And then you only have one option for that, and that particular option turns out to be not a very good option depending on the hardware yeah and, and so to clarify because you're right to your point yeah you're right we, we didn't upgrade people that were already on 1604 it's just new machines that we were going to send out with people we weren't going to put them on a, on a desktop environment that we knew was deprecated so it, 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 i mean it was it was a mistake on my part and luckily none of our clients got burned by this particular thing and it doesn't look like it's going to be an issue but and, and i'm still i mean i'm still run, running 1710 and uh, i'm going to continue to run 1710 and when 1804 ships I, every computer i own will get upgraded to it include up to and including some of the ones that are running arch because i uh, i just I, i'm feeling that i have to go back to ubuntu but i just it, it seems like it was a it was a really crappy time and I, the the other good the other good thing is to me is that i i feel like it's really exciting that we don't have these kind of like major critical issues very often so and, and i referenced a couple of this uh, you know the blue screen of death repeat thing that, that that microsoft had and the you know root login thing that apple had so it's not like we're we're alone in catastrophic failures in the operating system right it's just it kind of sucked yeah it's but this is, this is a situation where i mean you can't really think of anything that's this bad um in the sense you in a situation of linux situ, uh, experience like the linux you know, Linux distributions don't necessarily have these. Even with Heartbleed and Shellshock, they weren't even that bad because right. they they were simply they were easily fixed. You just update your system and you're good to go. Nothing broke. Yeah. This particular time is like these two back to back are both like potential hardware problems, and that's that's a little scary in the in the short range of when they came out. But the there's a good thing about the BIOS problem is that there are some particular examples where the BIOS can be fixed. Uh, there there's there's a situation where you can also 100% brick it, and it has to be replaced. But there's they've they've done some tests to found that that if you if you ex, if you execute certain types of code in a certain sequence, you can get the BIOS back. Well, that's so, good. So yeah, so it is depending on how severe the effect was, because not everybody has the same result. You know, it's not it's not everybody gets their BIOS bricked. Right. It's some. Some get it to like completely break, and some just get partial booting problems, and you can fix those. So, like some of these, like the 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 silver lining is that there is a possibility that some some BIOS affected machines can be fixed and improved and upgraded. So that's you know that at least it's not the entire f- hardware itself has a flaw in it. 
You know, the other thing that that stands out to me is different from heart bleed and all that from this from this uh, this BIOS issue is that, you know, with the heart bleed stuff that is primarily targeted that the responsibility fell to system administrators. So you had people, you had companies yeah. really that had full time system administrators that were fixing this stuff, you know, for the large majority of people. The thing with this BIOS thing is it it, it, it becomes incumbent on the people who maybe have installed Linux for the very first time on their hardware. And now they don't maybe they don't even have a second computer that they can use to troubleshoot the first one. So, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so that that was that was really kind of a burn. Hey, speaking of laptops, if you didn't want to get burned by this Intel problem, what you could have done is purchased a computer specifically designed to run Linux. Uh, I was checking out this article from omgubuntu.co.uk, and we'll have it linked in the show notes. The new Dell XPS 13 Developer Edition 2018 uh, is I don't know if it's actually available for purchase. I kind of doubt it, but they have a uh, they have a write up on it. And um, they've got some really slick pictures. Have you seen this machine? The XPS 13, yeah, it's like s- super thin. Dude, like it's kind crazy. Of surprisingly thin. It's Yeah, it is. It's surprisingly thin. So the last one, the 2017 version or 60, I don't remember, whatever the last one that that, uh, that JB got to play with, they... Um, it was that was thin enough, and Chris was talking about how you could stick it in, in between the couch cushions. It's such a small computer. Well, the 2018 version, thinner and lighter yet, thinner bezels yet. Now they do have this idiotic rose gold looking thing, and then this like white. <laughs> that I, I, I looks so tacky. I just, ugh, it's not for me. But, but it, 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 it the, the, um, but the other like the developer machine with like the black uh, matte uh, you know rubberized uh, keyboard thing man is that a slick looking machine i mean a really hot looking laptop and uh specs are fantastic 4k display still tops out at 16 gigs of ram i would really like to see um higher than 16 gigs especially with all the crap that we give the macbook guys it seems like that would have been a really awesome opportunity to you know to to uh to best them but Really good looking machine, man. If you're looking for a computer uh, in in 2017, 2018, and you want a no compromise Linux experience, that XPS, yeah. and you know USB C. Do you have a machine with USB C yet? Unfortunately, no. So I am living the USB C lifestyle. I've got a USB C adapter that I've installed to my bed. So there's just a cord. I'm not kidding. There's a cord that hangs out just behind my headboard. So when I uh, when I'm in bed at night, if my laptop dies, I can just reach down, grab the cord, and plug it in. It charges there. I've got a USB C charger in my in my computer bag. I've got one here at the studio. And man, is that something where you can uh, where you can sit down at a desk and like right now, I have my laptop plugged in when I got into the studio when I was setting up. Once I got set up, then I decided I was going to go on air and I wanted to plug my phone and let my phone charge. I unplugged the same cable that's charging my laptop and plug it into my Pixel and now my phone is charging. And I, you know, it's, it's funny too. Like, I feel like Apple really screwed the pooch by shipping the iPhone X, iPhone X10, iPhone XX, iPhone whatever. The iPhone with uh, no headphone jack and no fingerprint reader, that one. It screwed the pooch by shipping that with Lightning. Like, I can charge yeah. my laptop, my phone with the same cord and they shipped all USB-C on the MacBook and then didn't do that with the phone. Oh yeah, because you need, you need more dongles. Because that's yeah. that's how they make money at this point. Right, dongles. dongles. I, I but yeah, but like, and you know, the 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 world is going to turn into USB C world. So at least you can say with like the MacBook, like, you know, maybe it'll be outdated by the time we get there. But five, seven, ten years down the road, you won't have dongles. Everything will just be USB C, and you still won't yeah. be able to charge your iPhone with it. <laughs> well, maybe they'll up the you know they make a new one every year. So maybe in like three years they'll be forced to use USB-C or maybe they'll be forced to get rid of that stupid notch at the top. Yeah. Well, I think they're probably, I think they're, I think their big push is wireless, right? Uh, there's some wireless issues, but they're, they're, they're going to do some, uh, they're doing this face recognition stuff more like they've removed a lot of the touch features. So it's going right. to be like all sensor based. Yeah. And did you see how that's working out for them? Apparently there's, a, there's some huge security flaws with that too. Yes, and they've also like they've even have reports where some of the 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 face sensor the face recognition sensors are being limited in how powerful they are so that they're more accurate, which it removes the accuracy actually. Yeah. Hey, we got another call here. I want to. Uh, we got a couple minutes, but we we have enough time to put him on. Uh, a guy, I'm really excited to talk to. Actually, we, we've I've spoken a little bit to him uh, in and outside of the chat. But uh, he's joining us for the first time on the program, Mr. SpongeBob. Welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hi, Noah. Thanks so much for having me on. Yes, sir. Welcome. How can we help? 
So, Noah, my question was, you know, regarding these mitigations and patches that are uh, in the works for Meltdown and, uh, you know, to some extent for Spectre, uh, are they really required if, you know, uh, so just for some background, I basically work in an enterprise IT shop. Uh, are they really required if you have an in-house system, which is running not on the cloud, not on a shared infrastructure, uh, but running in-house and it just runs one major application and its components? You know? So my thinking was if the attack vector is purely uh, requires someone to actually run code on that box specifically. Um, it doesn't. You know, is it then really required? Sorry? It so, doesn't require physical access. It, yeah, no, he said run run code on the machine, right? So is the box connected to the internet? No, it's not. It's, you know, entirely within the data center. It's not publicly exposed in any way. It's only connected to other internal systems. Yeah, and I, I'll give. I'll, I'll let. Uh, I'll let Michael give his take on this too. But my thought is, if it is truly, if it's truly segregated from the internet, and you're controlling physical access to it, I'm going to go ahead and say it's not that. It's not critical to patch that. Michael, do you agree? Disagree? I would agree. Uh, but I have one question: Is how can how connected to the internet is the other connect? If you said that it's on an internet, are any of those computers connected to it also connected to the internet? Or is it a full yeah, isolation sure, situation? Is. Okay, so like it, there is possibility that there could be some yeah. network jumping in that case at, at, at the like absolute worst level of like you could dump full writes of the kernel, the kernel memory it, at the absolute worst, but it, that'd be very unlikely. Sure. I, I'm, I'm just saying like it's yeah. technically possible, but as far as the risk risk for that particular situation, it's very low. Here's my question: What's the uh, what's okay. the what's what would be the uh, what would be the downside to patching the machine? Is it is it a, is it like a is it like a machine that that you know is is heavily performance? So you really want to squeeze out every last bit of performance out of it? Yes, there, there are two things. You know, one is the performance aspect that you mentioned, and the other aspect is you know within the estate, obviously there are upwards of a thousand machines that need to be patched. So, you know, we need to prioritize and decide on which ones need to get uh, prior, get to be done first. Sure. Sure. That makes sense. That makes perfect sense. Well, does that, does that adequately answer your question then? Yes. And thank you so much, Noah, for uh, great to speak to you. So long. Yeah, yeah, it's been a little bit. And again, this is a guy that uh, him and I have talked to, uh, you know, on and off inside of uh, inside of the Telegram chat. And if you want to chat with us on Telegram, telegram.asknoahshow.com. And uh, you can uh, hang out with us and we have an ongoing chat. And actually, that's where the entire uh, inception of this episode uh, came from. We went from, uh, you know, from the uh, Telegram As Noah chat, we should just start talking to people said, hey, would anyone be interested in a War Stories episode? And if so, would anyone make it? And then everyone, you know, some people said, yeah, we, I might be able to make it everyone was like no we really think that the asno show has to cover uh, this intel uh, intel thing and so uh michael offered to come on and, and help us with it and so couldn't turn that down so michael uh we got a couple minutes left in the program what are what are you up to what is tux digital up to these days uh well i'm doing the uh my podcast for this week in linux where it's a weekly news podcast that just talks about uh various different news items throughout the week and exclusively on linux topics um i'm also doing um a lot more uh, a lot more content-wise overall as far as like the tutorials and uh, co- conceptual explanation for different types of things like, for example, like the current, like my, the best example right now I have is, is a Linux Explained series where I explained like Ubuntu Snappy and how it all works and how the snaps work together and things like that. So like the, like an underlying, uh, like trying to make uh, complicated topics a little more digestible. Yeah, you actually. So I talked about that the other week. I was, I was just saying that um, sometimes you find these top these these uh, these things that they're not easily understood just by reading because you 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 bounce from article to article and you get a bunch of different information. And one of the things that I think you've done really well is you've taken that stuff and you've condensed it down, like your snappy video in particular. I think you can get through that. It's like what two minutes. And you can understand everything uh, you need to know about Ubuntu Snappy and Snappy Core and what the difference is and all that. Yeah, for the f- the first the first two minutes of the video just base- takes the basics of like how it works and what it is, and then I go into like the frequently asked questions about Snappy. So I I take I, I collected as many you know frequently asked questions around the community to then cover all of those to give like more in depth to that content as well. But like the first couple minutes is is the explanation. Perfect. Well, thanks a lot for coming on the program. We appreciate having you. 
Hey, I, I appreciate having me there as well. Um, but there's uh, w- one more thing I want to point out that uh, for the Meltdown Inspector thing, mm-hmm. uh, good news is that the Raspberry Pis, all of them, are not affected by Spectre or Meltdown. Op- absolutely outstanding. That that's a good note to end on right there. So we do have some some positive uh, some positive role or positive thing in the Linux space. Uh, if you're running a Raspberry Pi, you're set. Hey, huge thanks to Vox Telsus for providing our phone system. Ben, our producer, Rakai, our video editor. I have no idea what's coming up next because it's a special edition. But we'll see you on Tuesday, 6 p.m. Central.